Hey everybody, welcome back to the Uniquely Better Life podcast. My name is Chase Cotton. I'm your host. I'm the community director here at the Willow Center in Brownsburg, Indiana. This is episode nine, and I'm so excited to introduce you here in just a few moments to my new friend, Amy, who's really an old friend of the Willow Centers, and she'll share a little bit about that history. Last month in September, it was National Recovery Month in the United States, and we had such a fun time at our Music and Arts Festival here in Henders County. Thank you to all of you who were able to come out and participate. I hope you had a blast. We talked last month about explaining addiction history to employers, and that's a super important topic, and we're excited to go to another important topic this month, nutrition and exercise and the role that plays in recovery and mental health. Before we jump in, we'll hit our intro music, and then we'll do it. Thank you for being here. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Well, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Amy Eichert, um, and I feel like I kind of have a dual role. Okay. Um, I am a person in long-term recovery, and I'm also a treatment provider. That's awesome. Um, so I wanted to make sure to give a disclaimer that like, I'm not a nutritionist. So anything I'm sharing about today is just like from my own personal experience. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about uh, just your background, especially like your history with the Willow Center. Uh, Well, Ashley English and I met, we both worked together at Fairbanks on the adolescent unit many, many, many years ago. Yeah. And when she took over this space and it became the Willow in 2012, um, I assisted her for a couple of years, just helping with like clinical pieces and consulting and and things of that nature. Nice. That's awesome. And do you have your own practice now or where are you working now? I do. Um, So I've been in the field coming up on 18 years um, and I am currently in private practice full-time, indie counseling professionals. Very um, cool. I'm an EMDR certified therapist and consultant there. That's awesome. Uh, for those who don't know what EMDR is, can you give us the acronym? Sure. It's Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Um, it was originally designed to treat um, tra- trauma, more like single event trauma. Right. But since the 80s, we've been able to expand and modify, and so we can treat complex trauma, um, addictive disorders, chronic pain even. Wow. Those are kind of my specialties, the complex trauma, um, chronic pain, and addictive disorders. Awesome. So, yeah. Thanks for that definition. I appreciate sure. that. I always forget what the uh, four letters stand for. Yeah. Uh, well, congratulations on your long-term recovery. I mean, that's Thank hard you. work, and that's uh, it's amazing that you're able to share that with us. And thanks so much for being a member of the treatment provider um, you know, just industry because it's it's not an easy job, right? No, indeed it is not, no. <laughs> Especially being in long-term recovery yourself. I mean, yeah. there's so much vicarious trauma in the clients that we work with, and mm-hmm. um, I just wanted to express my gratitude for being a part of the good work. Well, thank you. So let's go ahead and and get into this discussion about nutrition and exercise. Uh, To start with, how do you feel, whether that's based on experience or based on what you've seen in your clients, how do you feel drug and alcohol use affects your eating and exercise habits? Well, for me personally, um, so I will say I got clean um, in 2001 and I was 25. So I was relatively young, especially for back then. Like it's changed so much now. Like we see people of all ages, even adolescents get clean and sustain recovery. Right. Um, And up until that point, I wasn't really mindful about anything that I ate. Mm. Um, I wasn't concerned about that, especially when I was using. And I would say even in early recovery, 
I wasn't really interested in exercise or anything like that. Okay. But I know that when I was in active addiction, there was like no space for that. Sure. I was doing good to, to eat consistently. Um, I really did my best. And there was a period where I had prided myself on, I eat oatmeal for breakfast every day, right? <laughs> yeah. It's the least I can do. I'm destroying everything else. Right. But it wasn't really a top priority. And I don't know how it could have been. Sure. Yeah, I appreciate um, the point you made about it, not having space for it. Yes. Can you dive a little deeper into what you mean by that? Well, for myself and maybe others that were in a similar position, there are people who can use certain things in moderation. I was not one of those people. Mm -hmm. And so everything in my life, it got to the point where like everything was kind of centered around like getting, using, and finding ways and means to get more. Right. And so um, even managing... Um, other priorities there wasn't really space for that because I was in law school mm -hmm. at one point during active addiction wow and that was a very clear example of like I thought I could do anything right sure. I was always go big or go home well I could not right yeah so you know even trying I can't imagine trying to have a job back then mm -hmm. I couldn't even go to school because every day it was just pure on obsession like how am I going to get dope today? Right. And how, what am I going to do in order to get it? So there, you would really lose track of time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So anything investing and in taking care of myself, I really felt like I was, I was trying to not be sick. Mm -hmm. And so that was about the best I could do. That's a really key point you made about trying not to be sick. I think there's a sort of a stigmatized misnomer that active addiction is only about getting high. And it's only about the pleasure of getting high. It's just not, right? That is correct. So, and I, I will also add um, that, you know, back, um, so this was 99 through 2000, the first time I went to treatment. Yeah. I was on a maintenance medication. And the only thing we had available back then was methadone, mm. right? And so from my experience, I thought, okay, if I do that, then that will like keep me well enough to be able to do other things. That's kind of like the the idea or the theory with that, right? If yeah. you're not in withdrawal, then you should be able to do these other things. Well, that was not the case. Yeah. So for me, even taking that maintenance medication, it was still a singular focus. So there was the physiological withdrawal, but then there was the obsession and compulsion piece mm. that for me that that did not address. Right. And that's where things like, like therapy comes into play and counseling comes into play, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, I appreciate that. But for listeners who aren't, familiar with the phrase maintenance medication that is um another way of saying medication assisted treatment there's a variety of medicines that under doctor supervision and in conjunction with high quality evidence-based therapy can assist some people in early recovery in um preventing use um but let's go ahead and, and keep going with this nutrition and exercise bit once someone gets sober how does your body change? Is it, are there like some key dynamics that happen for everyone or is it sort of individualized? Um, it's probably both. It's okay. a both. And so for me, I just looked healthier. I was always pretty underweight. Mm. Um, and so now I actually looked like I was just healthy. Right. Sure. But what I see with a lot of people, um, and again, I had the advantage in a way of getting clean when I was younger. Yeah. So I didn't have to try to work through like undoing so many like sustained, like, um, not healthy habits. Sure. But I see a lot of people, um, eating a lot because mm -hmm. now we have access to food a little more, whether we're in treatment, jail, even, right. um, a lot of these foods are very starchy, yeah. a lot of carbs, which trust me, I love carbs. They're <laughs> so doesn't? yummy, yeah. right? They're great. Um, but I see people, um, 
that put on weight. Mm. And so it's a double bind maybe for some people like, yay, you're alive, you're healthy, you're eating. But then there's this other part of it where people are like, okay, but I'm putting on too much weight yeah, and not sure really how to rein that in. If that makes sense. It does. I mean, it almost sounds like a bit of a pendulum swing. Yeah, absolutely. In the wrong direction. I mean, I, I think, um, a lot of folks ideas, and especially because of like media portrayal of addiction, in particular alcohol addiction, they think that alcohol use and overuse is what causes weight gain oftentimes. And it can, mm-hmm. right? You know, we have the classic idea of like the beer gut and beer belly or whatever. But it's fascinating to hear that after not using that there's still a, a certain amount of weight gain that can be part of that story. Mm-hmm. Is that primarily just due to the carbs themselves or is it just is it more the pattern of eating after? I, I think it's both. Like now we're eating regularly. Yeah. And you will hear people say, like, when they first get clean, they, they crave sugar a lot. Oh. It's extremely common. And so it's difficult with that because um, I know for myself, even today, uh, once I start, because we have candy out at the in the waiting area at my, at yeah. my place of work. <laughs> it's dangerous. It is. And then we have <laughs> other treatment providers that come in. They bring, like, a treatment provider brought Jack's Donuts yesterday. And I'm just like, yep. oh, at the moment I eat one, my brain is saying one more, right. one more. And is it the worst thing in the world? Like, I'm not doing heroin now, so is sugar really that big of a deal? Right. right? So I think... It's easy to justify. Absolutely. And so I think we kind of live in both places. Like... Um, I'm not doing this and this makes me happy right now. Right. And so again, but like if you're looking at jail or treatment facilities, a lot of that food is very starchy and people Mm -hmm. then put on weight pretty quickly. But I think at the same time, we're like happy to have like a regular meal too. Right. I think something that, uh, I vaguely remember from anatomy class way back in the day is that starches get turned into and processed as sugars in the body, right? That's correct, yes. I feel like if we were eating a sandwich, nobody's thinking, oh, I'm having sweets. But it's like it's processed the same way as the, you know, the donut or whatever. Yes. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. So what role can exercise and nutrition play in a recovery lifestyle? So I am a 12-step person. Okay. I'm active in 12-step recovery to this nice. day. And so I won't say like which specific fellowship because, you know, we have our traditions and I don't want to like it to be that I'm speaking for that fellowship. Fair. However, we do have a piece of literature in 12-step recovery called Living Clean, The Journey Continues. Okay. And one of the things I like about this book, it's like, okay, we've gotten the habit. We're going to meetings. Mm-hmm. We have a sponsor. We're working the steps. We're doing service work. We have all those foundational things in place. And then it's like, okay, now what? Right. Because one of the things we really emphasize in recovery is it's not just stopping using, it's finding the new way to live. Exactly. And so for me, I view my recovery as like a whole person recovery. Okay. And how I even started caring about working out at all. Because, I mean, I remember early in recovery, I would go to like meetings or go to functions and then I would be eating like Taco Bell and White Castle like midnight, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And at the time, my metabolism was as such that I could without any consequences. But then you hit 28 and it's gone. (laughs) I'm telling you what, right? So um, how I first got introduced is kind of um, a unique 
experience I had. Okay. So my best friend is, he works for IMPD. Okay. And back then it was IPD mm-hmm. and he and I were going to the gym together. And then I decided I'm going to apply for IPD, huh. which I don't know how many like recovering addicts do that. Yeah. Um, it felt very like I don't belong here in some ways. Sure. And it's set up as such that you can't really fully be honest about your history. Right. right? So there's that like bind of that because if you do, it's automatic out. It's, I will say it's a little different today because I do work with IMP officers as clients so it's shifted thankfully yeah um but i had to do conditioning to get prepared to pass the physical agility test Mm -hmm. and it was tough i had never been athletic um you have to run you have to sprint you have to do Mm push-ups i have ridiculously long arms (laughs) that made it very that made it challenging yeah and so what i realized um because that was like 2003 and 4 and i got clean in 01 right so what i realized from that was i really enjoyed pushing myself Mm -hmm. and not coming from this place of i have to do this or i should do this it was like man i get to do this Mm, opportunity mindset yes like that would not have been possible before to even really um push myself and challenge myself with my in my own body mm-hmm. would not have even been possible so that's how I got introduced and then from there I've just stayed consistent uh, with the working out now the food part was harder I will say that because sure. my whole life I really didn't have to pay attention right and then um, in my late 30s I started doing fitness competitions oh wow and so then I had to evaluate or I guess reevaluate my relationship with food and carbs. And most of what I knew how to cook was like French fries, spaghetti, pasta, the easy stuff. It's and it's, and again, that's all the carbs, which I love. Uh, And so I had set myself um, with this goal and the challenge, like I didn't expect to win. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really about like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to look amazing. Cause I will tell you, I worked really hard. I never won, right? Sure. I didn't really enjoy like all the goofy spray tans and all the pieces <laughs> that go with competing, yeah. but it was discipline. Right. And I was like, I, I'm, I'm going to set this goal. Can I do it? Yeah. And then do I have the confidence to then go out on a stage and do all these poses and all these things? Mm-hmm. It was a lot of like physical, emotional, mental, and like spiritual work invested yeah. in There's that. There's a lot of body image stuff in there too, right? Um, in that world, for sure it is. Right. Now, I realized very quickly when comparing myself to the other people in my category that I probably would not ever win. And mm. that was okay. I'm just, my frame is almost too small. Mm. And even competing at that level, there were a fair amount of women who were doing steroids. And we're talking about, this is like amateur level bikini, yeah, right? Right. And I just knew that that was not going to be, like I wasn't going to go to any lengths, so to speak. It right. was a personal challenge. I did it for two years. Um, I learned a lot about how important food and like working out are for like, not just my recovery, but like my mental health too. Yeah. That's such a huge connection, which we'll dive more into in a minute. Mm-hmm. You, you use the phrase relationship with food. What do you mean by that? Well, with rela- relationship with food pieces, it's kind of like, am I eating to satiate because I'm hungry or am I eating for other reasons? And mm. am I being mindful about what I'm digesting? Right. Um, you know, 
when we look at like our healthcare system, which we could probably do several episodes just oh, yes. about that, right? Yeah. It's not historically been like preventative or wellness focused. It's always band-aid solutions. Absolutely. And what I realized when I was competing and I was changing what I ate, um, I have a previous diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder mm-hmm. and I had taken an SSRI for that. Well, changing what I ate really mitigated my anxiety no and kidding. improved my mood um, I had fewer migraine headaches. Oh, wow. And my allergies were better. Even your allergies. My allergies were better. And so I was like, man, what are they, number one, putting in our food? Right. And number two, what am I then digesting? Yeah. And so I have never really been one that ate because I was emotional or mm-hmm. I was going through like difficult emotions. If anything, I would not eat. Sure. But then I learned that like, okay, my stomach is the direct pipeline to my serotonin production. Mm. So really how often I eat and what I eat makes a difference. Yeah, that's important. For those who don't know what serotonin is, that is one of the one of the pleasure hormones that's um, definitely plays a role in the addiction cycle too. Um, so to, to take another couple of minutes to uh, discuss body image, how do you feel like body image changes going from active addiction to sobriety i think again that varies per person um you know i've been in recovery a long time and i've seen people approach this differently yeah um for some people body image makes no difference they are not in good shape they are not often maybe in good health and they're good with that Mm -hmm. um i feel like i have also seen it go the opposite way where that becomes our everything Mm. right and i don't feel like for me there's anything wrong with caring about what i look like but i will say i'm probably at 46 years old i'm probably healthier now than i was certainly do not look it i am 46 (laughs) y'all are in the room with us but that's ridiculous (laughs) but like when i got clean i mean i feel like i am far healthier and looking even and presenting maybe even compared to 10 years ago Mm. Um, and so I, but I also weigh more now than I ever have. So what I hear you saying is that nutrition is not just about weight. That's correct. Neither is health just about weight. Right. Say more about that. Well, to me, the number doesn't even matter, you know, and when I have sponsees that I work with, or if this comes up with clients, Mm -hmm. we talk about like, what's the importance of the number? And to me, is it important to be skinny? Not for me. I would rather be fit. Yeah. I do enjoy modifying my body because, you know, one of the things I really learned when I was competing is there's no instant gratification with this. It is right. the opposite of that. And that was rewarding to mm-hmm. see, like, putting in work, seeing results. Yeah. Like, I would rather be and present as strong than skinny. Yeah. And I, in some ways, that might be privileged of me to say that because I... I came from like historically I was underweight mm-hmm. and so being overweight was never really a concern. Yeah. So it might be a privileged perspective. That's fair. But um, again, I know that messages in our culture, not always to women, but especially to women are like to be thin. And that's the standard of beauty. Which right. Isn't fair, nor is it biologically accurate. It's, it's, it's definitely not realistic. Right. And so for me, again, I weigh my number is higher than it's ever been. Yeah then that makes no difference to me. That's great. Yeah, I think that's so important, especially for our listeners to hear, because there's, I, I have seen a tendency in some of my friends who are in, in long-term recovery to gravitate towards self-help, just mediums and modes and methods, um, especially those who aren't involved in step work. Like, 
We're just trying to find something to improve. Right. Right. And weight is one of those ones that I think can be so damaging because mm-hmm. biologically some of us aren't programmed to lose weight. Right. Right. Like I'm a, I'm a, uh, you know, a relatively young, just middle-class white dude with a dad bod. And I am at my optimal weight. Like my BMI is probably too high. I probably should eat a little healthier than I do, but it's like, I have tried and tried and tried and I can't lose more than maybe 10 pounds and it just comes back. Yeah. And I think it's important to realize that we have those predispositions, both genetically speaking and those, um, you know, might work against societal expectations. Sure. Which is why I'm so grateful for the fellowship I belong to because yeah. there is this huge component of like through working the steps, achieving maybe a deeper level of like self-acceptance, mm. which is not, I mean, it's fluid, it's not linear and that will ebb and flow. Yeah. Um, and you know, and then it also reminds me of like that um, piece of literature, living clean, the journey continues. Right. There's a chapter on like health and wellness. Okay. One of the things that it mentions in there is when we're trying to come from this perspective of like, I should or I have to, it's almost counterproductive, hmm. you know? And so I think people, and, and I've experienced this too, get frustrated with, I feel like I should be doing this and it's not happening. Right. So therefore there's something wrong with me or I'm doing something it wrong. an identity crisis. Absolutely. Yeah. And we end up, I think I've heard somebody say, uh, we end up shooting all over ourselves. Yes, 100%. <laughs> so that's why I'm grateful because beyond just the 12 steps themselves, there are other, you know, pieces of our literature that are very valuable in right. like how we want to like define our own recovery. And that's one of the cool things in that chapter. It does not say like health and wellness is going to the gym or eating right or yoga or any of those things. Sure. But the message is like we get to come to our own understanding yeah. of what that means for us. That's so important. So in the same way that there are multiple pathways to recovery, there are multiple pathways within recovery as yes. far as wellness goes. Right. So within my world, like there are certain things like we stay clean no matter what. Mm-hmm. Any use, you know, is, is then you start over. So there are some things around it that are kind of black and white. Right. But by and large, it's, you know, if you want what we have to offer, you're willing, willing to make the effort to get it. Here are the things. And so even within that seemingly kind of rigid context, there's a lot of flexibility. It's like one highway with guardrails with four or five lanes in between. Absolutely, yes. That's helpful. So let me ask you this. Is it possible, especially in early sobriety, to become addicted to exercise and nutritional things? Potentially. And so I guess it would mean like if we're classifying addiction as you're doing this thing, it's obsessive compulsive and it's making your life unmanageable. Yeah. Yes. And then sometimes that falls under the umbrella of eating disorders. Uh, Right. So it really depends on the context. Sure. So yes, it is a thing that um, is healthy, can be very empowering. um, But from just from my perspective, if I am using that in a way that becomes maladaptive and I am neglecting other areas, mm-hmm. then it's really not in, under that and through that lens of like recovery or a whole person right. recovery. It's starting to create its own set of like unmanageability. Yeah, that makes sense. I appreciate that insight. So for the listener that um, might be on the fence about it, right? Maybe, maybe this is just another piece of the intimidation factor in stopping use and getting into recovery. It's like, well, then I'll have to take care of myself and eat right and exercise. Like what advice would you give that, that listener as far as like the best first step to take? Is to not even worry about that other stuff. Because in the beginning, like I know for me, 
I just wanted to be able to get clean and stay clean. I wanted mm-hmm. to stop using and, and stay stopped, right. right? So that's the primary thing. And if we can do that, then it's one of those that kind of more will be revealed or a lost dreams awaken kind of, kind of um, yeah. ideas of like the new way to live. Mm-hmm. And that does not have to mean the same thing to all people. Yeah. You know, because even within like my sponsorship family, not everybody views it the same way. Right. And that is completely okay because there's nothing in our literature that says you have to do these things. Right. Unity without uniformity. Correct. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Well, this has been so helpful, Amy. Thank you for sharing your expertise and your story and your sure, insight. Absolutely. I think this is one of those, like probably the most practical episode, in my opinion, of this season, because it literally has to do with what you do with your body. And yes. I mean, addiction itself has so much to do with what we do with our body. And of course, it has these social emotional factors, which we've talked about in previous episodes, and we'll continue to dive into next season. But this is just such a huge, important piece of it that I'm I'm proud that we get to talk to or talk about today um, because it's not always talked about and it's important. And I'm grateful to be able to share my experience. You know, this has been an important part of my recovery. Yeah. um, And it has improved mental health, physical health pieces for me. And, you know, today I I feel like I have a responsibility to that. Mm -hmm. And I am content living this way. Like I said, it might not be the path for everybody, but it works for me. Awesome. Well, thank you, Amy. All right. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you. So that has been episode nine of the Uniquely Better Life podcast. Uh, again, my name is Chase. I'm the host. I'm the community director here at the Willow Center in Brownsburg, Indiana. We're going to wrap up season two of the podcast with episode 10 next month in November, talking about stigma and societal change. Stigma is one of those things that we can't not talk about. We'll probably talk about it every season, but we placed it in November in particular because we're coming up on the holiday season when you're going to be with family, with friends who might have no understanding or context to under, uh, to figure out like what you're going through, um, both biologically as well as uh, in, uh, inside internally, mental health. So we want to talk to that stigma, give you some tools that you can use um, in conversation, as well as um, talk a little bit about relapse prevention in regards to going into that holiday season. So bear with us as we get into November. You're doing good work. Don't give up. Thanks for listening.